Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Alton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey Dilly, how are we doing? Um, thank you for asking, Nick. <laughs> wow, you seem ponderous. <laughs> <laughs> I might be doing a lot better if I wasn't seated like 100 meters, not 100 meters, like four meters away from a family of pigeons on my balcony. Oh, nice. Did uh, You've returned to uh, your apartment in uh, Saxony-Anhalt, haven't you? You're not in Frankfurt anymore. That is the other thing. I'm back in Bison Fells. I'm kind of like going through my life choices right now. Thank you. <laughs> So your life choices are: you live in a small town in the in the eastern states of Germany, and you have a squatting family of pigeons living on your balcony. It's not just a small town in Germany; it's a small town where no two paving stones face the same direction. <laughs> what does that mean? It means I trip. <laughs> you can't even like take a bloody walk around the place without falling flat on your nose. Oh dear. Is there, a, is there an issue with the paving? Is this an infrastructure question? Should we be calling in the uh, Bundesrat? And the, sorry, no, the Landesrat. To me I like. think this is why people have like Rechtsschutzversicherung, uh, which is what? Legal insurance? Well, I mean, get this though, like Diddy. I mean, this is probably the difference between the states, right? The Hauptstrasse in my town has been going through somewhat of a facelift. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Lots, lot of our local taxes are invested in repaving and re-updating the the Hauptstrasse. Because that's the main. It's not just the main street. It is effectively what is my town. Is this long street that used to be a highway that's now been converted into kind of just a normal road, and the whole the whole of my town sort of is dotted on either side of this this road. So they've been redoing that, and they've only just announced that they're going to lay fiber wire cabling through the entire area so mm -hmm. god knows at what point but at some point we might get fiber wire internet so i mean that's that's the difference i think between <laughs> your your tripping over paving slabs and uh here paving slabs are being laid so um, i'm not sure if that says something about the state of, of finances between certainly the south and the other states but i mean they finally did up the train station so I'm grateful for that because I go through that every day. Yeah, I mean, the, there is there's a lot been made of the. I mean, we, I'm not sure. Do we still pay the uh, solidarität um, Zuschlag, the solidarity tax? They've been paying to afford infrastructure rebuilds in in the eastern states. I think that still exists. I haven't checked my pay slip recently. I'm not sure if it comes up. It was introduced in 1995, mm -hmm. and it's 5.5%, but only some taxpayers pay it. And uh, that money is meant to be spent on sort of infrastructure in, in the East, isn't it? So maybe, maybe you need more than the train station. I'm going to see where this money is going. It's definitely not going into the paving stones. Maybe that's the next project. Maybe everyone's just on holiday, and they're going to come back, and they'll be like, right, now, let's pave these streets. Frau Algemer will be so happy to know <laughs> the streets are being paved. How yeah. the streets are safe again. I don't know. I think what you're speaking to is, I mean, I think Bavaria is a bit of an outlier in this respect because this is one of the richest states and there's plenty of tax money swirling around. But it's it's the discussion of the moment, really, about like uh, just infrastructure in general. There was that recent announcement 
by uh, the finance minister, Christian Lindner, that I think it was like 300 odd million that was allotted for digital infrastructure is now the budget's going to go down to 3 million uh, euros. It is. <laughs> it like, is. It's just like, all right, great. So I guess we're just going to wait again till till like the never never until these problems are fixed. This was digitalization, right? Yeah, it was digital infrastructure. But I mean, that's just one part of the issue, isn't it? There's loads of little things. Like you drive on some autobahns and you would think they'd never been constructed correctly. Like I know. So my boyfriend, I don't drive. My boyfriend does. And he's Dutch. And whenever we go from, drive from Germany to the Netherlands and the moment we cross the border, he's like, oh yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like, really? I mean, I come from Sri Lanka where like, you can go fishing in some of the puddles in the middle of the road. <laughs> and my, yeah, my, my father and his cronies famously did down the street. I like that your dad has cronies. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> when I say cronies, I mean he's friends. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I like it. I like the idea that he has cronies. <laughs> and and like, I'm like, but what's wrong with the streets of Germany? Like, oh, have you never noticed? Like, it's also wavy. And in the Netherlands, the streets are just flat. <laughs> it's gorgeous it's flat because the Netherlands has no, uh, it has nothing. It is just flat. It's like pouring icing over a fucking cake. It just takes the shape. So the area that I live in was very, it's it's very clear by mm. looking at the way the streets have been built and by mm. the sort of houses, you can sort of see which were the old farmhouses and which are the mm. new builds. And you mm. can sort of see where the, where the farms end and the, and the streets begin. And so because it's all higgledy piggledy and kind of um, ad hoc, some streets don't even have pavements. So you've got the weird situation where you're kind of just walking on the side of the road where there's no pavement. Uh, because that wasn't really a concern by the people designing the town. You also get some very nice kind of streets, but like it's also very, it's not very pedestrian friendly. So it was just for the horse carriages or something. I, I don't know. I mean, they've sort of one side's got a pavement and the other side doesn't. And they've just sort of someone shrugged and gone, ah, we only need one pavement. People will get over it. So there's like little bits of kind of historical bad infrastructure. But I think, I think there's, there's also, um, that's like my cross to bear, you know, and I bear it well. But I think when you go around the rest of Germany, you sort of see, you do see the the varying kind of styles or approaches to to city building or town building. I don't think it's as bad as your boyfriend's making out. <laughs> I don't think it goes from like dirt road to fully tarmacked modern infrastructure. I, I had a feeling, I, I think I'm going to take it up with him again the next time I'm in the Netherlands. He says he can feel the difference. I, I'm thinking of the princess and the pea, actually. Yeah, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can. I, I, all I know is that there is a, there's an, an autobahn, I forget which number it is, between um, uh, the two autobahns between Ulm and Nuremberg mm. that I used to drive along. And one's quite modern. And then you get onto the one that te- that leads you uh, to to Ulm, and it is it's sort of concrete slabs, and you're driving at 150, and it's like you can mm. feel the gaps in the slabs, and it's awful. It's really bad. And so, I mean, some of that's been repaired, but it's very kind of shaky mm. uh, the repairs. So, I mean, you do see you do see like little botch jobs, which kind of is counter to your impression of what Germany's all about. It's like. Yeah. What, Wait, that's a really shit kind of repair job you've done. That's really shit infrastructure. (laughs) 
but for the most part i don't really have a big problem with it it could be it could be much worse it could be much worse as I, I think so but as, as i was so having this argument with my wife Comment what she said. She said some. I said something like, uh, "Oh, this is a problem," and she was like, "This, this worse problems than that." And it's like, well, it's not really that comforting to go like, "I've broken both my legs," and for you to go, "Well, at least you've you've got both legs." <laughs> it's like it's still. I still got broken legs, you know. I still have a problem. But you still have so, your legs. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. It's very much that kind of. This is shit, but it could be shitter. It's a weird kind of optimistic pessimism. Not validating our feelings at all. No, it's not. No. And, and what the hell do we have a podcast for if it isn't validating our bloody feelings? Yes. I'll tell you what we'll have a podcast for, Dilly. So we can talk about the World Cup. Oh, yeah. It's the Women's uh, World Cup update. Oh, good. We are starting with the weird side to living in Germany. I don't. Well, I mean, it's not that weird. I mean, I think actually, if we looked at the statistics, you'd be the weird one for not enjoying this segment. So. As I was you saying. don't even leave me like room to say something. Jesus, you don't, you've uh, do you got want to hear from your father again? I've tried. All I've tr- I've tried to get you to like the World Cup, Dilly. But as we saw last week, I had to get producer Simon in to to back me up because he's the only one who seemed to care about this quite vital piece of uh, piece of knowledge. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the Women's World Cup is still ongoing. Well, for certain teams, this one big team where things stopped very abruptly around the middle of last week because uh, Germany is out. Oh, what? It's 50% of my opportunity to celebrate a World Cup win. This has gone out the window. So Germany, well, they were not quite in control, but they they were well-placed to finish uh, at least first or second in their group going into their final game against South Korea. Uh, They hadn't been playing well. They'd lost to uh, Colombia. They had beaten Morocco, but they really could do with a win. They really needed a win. And guess what? They did not win. They drew 1-1 with South Korea and instead came third and exited the World Cup in the group stages, which was a bit of a disaster. Germany really have not performed uh, at this tournament. Uh, So yeah, as I said, 50% of my opportunity to celebrate a World Cup is gone Gone, gone, gone. Dilly, do you have anything to say on this particular topic? Fuck, I knew you were getting to that. I, <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking for the past half a minute, like, how how can I add something substantial to this? What can I say? I think it's nice that you have two teams to cheer on. I, I mean, most people don't have even one. I mean, like, yay, Nick, go. <laughs> cheer. Two teams. Hi, y'all. Hi. What now? Do I was it not enough? Producer Simon just thought for a second that you were taking a bit of a dig at me. That's all with your, you know, because I don't have any teams to cheer on anymore. I mean, that was your, that was what you were implying, right? That's so cold, Dilly. I can't believe you would insult Producer oh, Simon in that no, way. I meant myself, oh. Oh, who does terrible. not watch football. These listener, Producer Simon's crying like Dilly's. Dilly's made him cry. Oh it's no! Di- I I think you should apologize. <laughs> I think Nick's just trying to turn turn you against me. <laughs> Don't give in. Hold 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 on. Hold on tight. Don't give in. <laughs> Resist the urge, Simon. I would I want a full episode of Dilly just giving like sort of motivational pep talk type type snippets. I think that would make a very entertaining podcast. Um yeah, so G- Germany is out. 
but England's through. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, they uh, came very close to going out against Nigeria. It was certainly not the cakewalk, perhaps some assumed. And we did. Uh, my my favourite thing in football is watching international football teams, especially England, take penalties. It doesn't upset me at all. In fact, it's it's a joy. It's a true. I hate it so much. I hate penalties. I hate them. I hate them when we've won them. I watched the penalty shootout again before we recorded. Hated every second of it. Penalties are shit. It, they're very difficult to watch. I give you that. Fucking hate them. I just. Oh God, I hate them. And I hated it this time round because. Uh, oh God, the f- <laughs> the first penalty, uh, the first two penalties were really weird because I think it was. It was Georgia Stanway that took the first penalty and uh, she missed it and it was painful. And I forget who took the the next, the, the first penalty for Nigeria, but she hit exactly the same way as Georgia Stanway and missed it in exactly the same way. It's really, really odd couple of penalties. Um, and then things kicked off. And uh, l- luckily, luckily Nigeria um, missed, missed a couple. And uh, there was one really epic right over the bar sky penalty and they're always the best if you're going to miss miss with an elaborate kind of shot that's super powerful that just goes ping over the bar i'd rather that than anything else and um better than that than a tame kind of kicked the goalkeeper but luckily england saw it through to the end and uh yeah they're through uh potentially to face uh one of maybe um i think jamaica i think it's been decided yet yeah, England's going to face Colombia in the next game. Oh, this is going to so, be exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's weird, right? Because uh, England played Colombia in the round of 16 in the World Cup in uh, 2018. Um, what about Spain? Is the team back in Spain where the family members of the team <laughs> are not bored yeah. anymore? Yeah, perhaps it's the case that, that they were so entertained or they just needed a release from the boredom. Either way, they beat Switzerland 5-1 and progressed with with a certain amount of ease to play the Netherlands in the quarterfinals. So your quarterfinals as they stand are Spain, Netherlands, Japan, Sweden, Australia, France, and England, Colombia. Interesting. So I assume producer Simon could glom on to one of Australia or England if he's desperately looking for a team to support. I would, of course, recommend England, but... Um, I wouldn't want to speak for him. He pulled a very strong face there. You just made an enemy out of him, Nick. This is going to be exciting. It, it, it's always a tough one. I kind of, I want Australia to do well up until the last point. I don't want them to win. Okay. Mm. So, and I kind of, I have an affection for the English team because I watched the Euros last year mm-hmm. mm. and, um, and I watched the uh, this I, I saw the second half and then the extra time and the penalties on Monday and um, yeah I just think they've got some good players and some good good characters in that uh, in that English team I really I think Rachel Daly shined yesterday yeah and I th- well I think there was the, the because the focus is not on the stars that are not playing I think a lot of other players are, are coming through I think the, the there's a sadness because obviously there was a red card in the um, England-Nigeria game, which I, I didn't mention, sadly. Lauren James, who was the um, heroine of, of, of the previous couple of games, um, she's she's uh, been red-carded, which I think means she's not... Uh, if she gets a three-match ban, she's not eligible to play again. Well, that hasn't been decided 
I was listening to, and I think full credit to the the Guardian Women's Football Podcast um, because I was listening to that today. So any of my knowledge comes from that. And I think definitely she has a one one game ban, but it's to be decided whether it will be more than one one game. Yeah, not great, not great. But I think if I'm right, England or Australia, depending if they both win, would face each other in the next in the semifinals. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough choice to make. Um, I kind of feel Australia is gonna gonna get if they get into the semifinals. I can see them getting the final. I can see them winning it. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of building for that kind of a fairy tale, isn't it? It'd be funny if England won though. <laughs> Yeah, I'm quite torn at the moment. As I say, I want Australia to do well up until the last minute. Then I don't want them to win. Well, we'll 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 see. We'll see. Uh, it's still a lot of football to be played, so we'll uh, we'll continue with the updates next week. Oh, I'm sure you will. And also on our group WhatsApp. Seriously, what was that? What do you mean, dear listener? What's your problem? So I don't know which game this was, and th- we have a group WhatsApp for the podcast where we write very important podcasty things and these two people were watching a match and like just Simon yeah bizarre the two misses not nasty but definitely deliberate which also makes it seem even more stupid this Australia versus Denmark game seems tight could go either way also Nick the Aussies look very ponderous good goal that seriously hey Stop making fun. We're we're having a nice conversation about football. Yes, it is a little bit pretentious, but that's just the way it is. Ponderous? Who even says that anymore? Well, we clearly do. And they did look ponderous, and they did score, and it was a good goal. (laughs) So I don't know what your problem is. All I'm doing is speaking truth. Jeez, I can't believe I can't believe we're reading out. The two of you need uh, to get a room. The, the two of you need You're to get a, a room and here, watch football together in it, and leave me yeah, out we, of it. He lives in bloody Bonn, and I live in Bavaria, and you live in Saxony. It's amazing this podcast even gets made. I think that was something that that Simon said a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it's amazing what we can do considering none of us meet in person. <laughs> so <laughs> like, just don't don't mess with the system, right? Otherwise, we'll start reading out your WhatsApps. Anyway. (laughs) Even though we're in the summer powers from the Bundestag, it doesn't mean that politics isn't just put a big sign and said, we're on holiday. It is is still ongoing. Uh, And we saw that last week with announcement by the um, Federal Minister for the Interior, Nancy Faeser, uh, who has said she wants to tighten the rules for deportations and uh, to deport rejected asylum seekers more quickly. And the coalition government has introduced a Diskussionsentwurf, which is a discussion paper to uh, in Berlin, and it's going to be discussed within the municipalities, federal states, and then possibly the legislative process will begin. Mm-hmm. Um, before I go any further, I've got to say, Diskussionsentwurf was not an easy word to translate. It doesn't really have quite a it's the process, right? They've got a paper. These are the ideas. These are the things they're suggesting they will do. Uh, and we're going to have a discussion through Germany uh, at the political level about about possible ideas. And those ideas include plans to extend the maximum duration of exit custody from 10 to 28 days, which is supposedly going to give authorities more time to prepare for the deportation. Um, police are going to be given more powers when it comes to deportations. One of those powers, quite controversially, 
gives uh, officials the opportunity to, when they're looking for foreigners to be deported, it's going to allow them to enter other rooms in a person's house, um, not necessarily even rooms that are uh, belonging to the individual the police are looking for. And they'll also be able to search communal areas, which, um, hmm, troubling. According also to the paper, there's going to be tightening of lawsuits against entry and residence bans, so it should prevent uh, sort of failed asylum seekers from uh, combating their uh, rejected applications in the courts. And finally, to relieve the immigration authorities, resident permits for refugees with what they call subsidiary protection, which is protection that, that for people whose lives are in serious danger in their home countries. That uh, these subsidiary protections will be extended to three years to alleviate some of the admin issues for these particular uh, groups. So it's only a draft. It's only a discussion paper, discussions and to earth Dilly. But um, it sounds a little draconian, right? I would say so. I'd agree with you. I mean, if the police is to get more power than it already has, then that is the definition of draconian, right? I think it's what we looked at before. Overly kind of uh, powerful uh, laws or powers given to officials. Also, it seems a little silly. I mean, not that I'm complaining. It seems a bit silly that the police, they're like, okay, I need to, we need to check Michael's room for Michael. And if Michael is not in that room, they can't go to another room. Yeah, no, so as far as, as what I could tell from it, the police would be able to search, like say a communal, like a vegan communal house, they'd be able to search not only the individual uh, individual's room, but also communal spaces. Mm-hmm. It feels like a bit of a, an overstep. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got to be really careful when you give police powers like that because it's not always the case that the police use them in the most kind Sensible of... Sensible manner. Exactly, exactly. I think also, I mean, it's an odd one because why would you discuss this now? Because there's two ways it can go in, in the summer powers. Yeah. Everyone's focus is elsewhere on holidays. Yeah. But also, there's no real news and I'm sure you've noticed this, and mm-hmm. it's made planning for the podcast fun, trying to glean as much news from the <laughs> uh, from the nuggets that are available. But the yeah. uh, there's a lot, of, not a lot of political news. And as we saw, I think with Friedrich Merz a couple of weeks ago, if a politician makes an announcement, especially one that's kind of controversial or on a controversial mm. topic, it'll get a lot more attention now. So one thought would be. And this was an accusation. Actually, the CDU leveled at Nancy Faeser. They said, oh, you're just electioneering. You're just doing this so because there's elections. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I'm like, wow, what a what an insult. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, that's probably what the reason they're doing it. Yeah. To look kind of strong on this topic. What Rishi Sunak is doing seems a bit infectious, right? Rishi Sunak, Prime Minister of Great Britain. The Prime Minister of Great, Great Britain. And uh, the wearer of three-quarter pants when he thinks they're trousers. He, he does have very short trousers. He's a very short dude. so Which is fine. We do not discriminate people for their height. But, I mean, your trousers should cover the entire length, no? Of the leg. I don't know. I feel, I feel, I feel, you can wear whatever trousers he wants. I'm less worried about his trousers and more concerned with his kind of far-right policies. I don't know why I went off on about his trousers. I think it's just because I had to look at his naked shin. Okay. Um, and that wasn't very pleasant. <laughs> and you were affronted like a Victorian maid. Oh, oh his ankles. <laughs> Smelling salts, please. So, 
Yeah, you, but your point was there's some kind of connection. What do you mean? Like a connection with the policies that are happening I mean, in Britain? I mean, he's going on about, uh, I mean, he's, he seems so evil and cheerful when he talks about, this is what I'm doing to stop the boats. And um, one, I'm doing this. Two, I'm doing that. And uh, we have made a deal with France. We have a deal with Albania. And this has already proven effective. And this has uh, reduced the number of refugees who come, or illegal immigrants, that's the word they say, um, the number of illegal immigrants coming to Britain from Albania. And Germany, I mean, are we just following? I think there are different stages of the discussion. Britain's the end result of what happens when you can't work out any way to have a sensible discussion about migration mm. or have sensible politicians making good policy or what happens when you have a zombie government that's probably going to be voted out in about 18 months time mm. that's what's happening in britain there are no policies because they've got rid of all the policies they keep saying things like the asylum system's broken and we need to fix it and it's like you've been in charge for 13 years you fucking idiots you broke it if anyone broke it you broke it yeah so it's it's it's, it's, it's hot air it's a problem they've they've created of their own uh, volition they haven't got a sensible policy in place to yeah. deal with refugees they fucked themselves with brexit so they can't have a sensible discussion because they've t been telling people for years all migration's bad it's not quite the same in germany because germany's not got to that level of insanity yeah although you still can't have a sensible debate about this yeah i don't think i think there's still a lot of alarmism on all sides and you saw that in the criticisms that came along with this new policy not just the the people who were complaining about police powers but also the i think one of the points that was being made by asylum charities was if you extend the custody for uh, those who have failed in their asylum process like that's someone's life that you just pause in yep and it's got to be humane and there's going to be people who were rejected yeah like there is a truism that with asylum seekers i think sure you've got to check if they're really asylum seekers or not i understand that but they've got to be treated in a very particular way it's not the same as someone like myself who came over via eu um rules mm. it's not necessarily the same as someone who's coming from a non-eu country mm -hmm. these are different types of migration and it's best that we can have that discussion in different areas I do think this is very much a way for the federal government to look tough on mm. migration because they know that's going to be a story. Whether these are effective policies or not, I don't know, but they're not putting asylum seekers on fucking prison ships like they are in Britain. Yeah. So yeah. there is a distance. Yeah. Uh, there's a second draft that's also available for discussion that has uh, some points about improved data exchanges between the immigration and social authorities this is an interesting one considering we've only just referenced the fact that uh, digital infrastructure spend is going to go down so um yeah what's your thoughts do you think this is another good idea it seems like not an awful idea to make it easier for immigration and social authorities to share information about who's getting funding and things like this i have thoughts about this because i have this weird image in my head of people like what are they going to do how are they going to do this how is the um how will the immigration and social authorities exchange data 
in a better way, like install more fax machines, um, have more frequent roundtables with stacks of paper blocking eye contact. And we are already taking money away from uh, the infrastructure of digitalization. And you want improved data exchange between authorities? That sounds very dodgy or not very thought out. It doesn't feel like the, all the parts are working in, in tandem, right? Yeah. So. It doesn't feel like, you know, all the, all those little things that turn <laughs> in the clock. Nah, that's not, they're not there yet. Uh, and ultimately, the, the, the idea behind the sharing of data is that records of those who are receiving certain benefits will be much clearer to authorities. And in this way, the, the sort of social authorities and immigration are working together to ensure the right benefits are going to the right people, I guess. But again, it's one of those things where, what is the goal here? Is it to save money? Is it, or is it to make sure that the refugees are being treated fairly? Uh, that's the debate I think would always needs to be hard. It also feels a little like an attempt at centralization at last, but in a very non-functioning way, like have different authorities communicating with each other, having the same information. That's something that is lacking in Germany right now, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the sharing of data is certainly hampered by things like the Datenschutz. Yeah. So I don't know how well this is going to go. And joined up thinking isn't great. Well, one thing that the uh, Ministry of the Interior did state, which I thought was interesting, was that the the discussion paper that they've created, which all of these ideas are coming from, is based on ideas coming from the federal states. And it was basically this discussionsentwurf was decided and discussed and agreed on in a joint conference of the various minister presidents and Chancellor Olaf Scholz. And so the information in it uh, comes not just from the government, but from the states themselves, mm. which seems like a, a nifty way for the government to go. It's not all us, you know, it's not all our ideas. Some of these ideas are a little bit more strict than we would like. Um, so maybe it won't come to pass that it'll be quite as strict as it looks mm -hmm. on paper currently. But again, it's a German law, so there's going to be a few years before we get it right. <laughs> and a few years of debate first. Yeah. Let's get away from the politics. After all, this is the summer, and one of the great summer events happened at the weekend, one that many people have been looking forward to all year round, given the sale of tickets goes pretty quickly after they become available. It was Wacken Open Air Festival from Wednesday, I think, onwards last week up until around about the middle of Monday, when visitors were finally leaving the site. The whole festival itself is, as I've said, a massive summer event that people wait all year round for. Uh, it's the largest, one of the largest metal festivals in Europe, if not the world. One complication, though, this year uh, in the 2023 event was the fact that uh, Vakken Festival became a bit of a mud bath. It looked uh, decidedly chaotic at times uh, over the weekend. And this did create a bit of an issue as it meant that the whole festival itself had to be slightly slimmed down because of um, some horrendous torrential rain in the north of Germany. Yep. And uh, as I said, it looked uh, very um, swampy, <laughs> I think is the best description. Yep. By I think around about almost as soon as they opened, vehicles were banned from the 
camping site uh, in North Germany in Wachen. And uh, as up to 40,000 ticket holders were affected. Uh, apparently, there was a lot of people who'd already arrived on site before Wednesday, so they were safe. But those who were arriving a bit later had some trouble. I was thinking, though, there's a lot of like sort of open-air festivals, especially the slightly more bourgeoisie ones, that would offer uh, people visiting a, a mud bath for a, a, a massive price. But at Vakken, you can get it for free, right? You can just go swimming. <laughs> Get as much mud in your face. I bet there's just loads of metalers leaving the north of Germany with just lovely skin. Their pores are totally cleaned out. It must be great. I did not expect you to discuss muddy open air event. That's one of my other things that I will never take part in. I was thinking this as I read it. I was like, this is something that Dilly would obviously hate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like chemical toilets, lots oh, of quite. Public toilets? Chemical toilets. What's that? Like a portaloo. Oh, no. God, oh, no. Yeah. Ew. That's the festival spirit. Oh, Jesus. Like with a long queue behind you kind of thing, right? It depends how well, well equipped the site is. It looked pretty well equipped when I was watching. And where do you shower? Where do you shower? You, I don't think you do. Ew. Pet, oh, I really Jesus. don't think. Disgusting. I mean, it's kind of part and parcel of the whole experience. It's a bit grungy, a bit grimy. Like, you know, when I do, and I will do at the end of August, the battle reenactments that I do, that's quite common. I probably, I won't shower probably. I mean, that's not true. I might have a bit of a wash, depending on how, how long it does it run? The, this probably about the same amount as, as Vakin. It's probably about four, four days, four and a half People days. People go without a shower for four days and you're in company? Some do, some don't. Some some turn up with caravans and the full mod cons. Some, like me, turn up with a tent, an inflatable mattress, and some hope. How do you wash? I'm sorry to uh, like ponder over this and be ponderous over ablutions, but how do you wash then? It's somewhere like vacant. There could be wash houses. You get like uh, porter cabins that have showers in them, so they might have those. If it's a, I mean, Vakin's been in this, I think it's been in the site it's in for a very long time. It's like a chain of islands, if I'm right. Um, it's a really cool place to have a, um, a, a festival. And so in places like that in Germany, you might well find that they have specially constructed shower blocks, like on a normal campsite. But yeah, me, a normal campsite is not something I'm familiar with, but would you use it as a point of reference? It depends if you were a scout or a girl guide or something like no. this. You might have gone to one of these campsites, no. but most modern campsites might have that. But if it's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more wild, you can get like outdoor showers. You can hang, you fill with water, and you hang it from a tree, and it functions as an outdoor shower. Or what I usually do is I just get, I just get a bowl of water and give myself a wash and a bowl of water without soap. Well, it was soap, of course. We didn't have a heathen. It's the point of fucking washing. Um, but yeah, it just depends. But like, I, I, I don't see it as totally unreasonable not to necessarily. If you've got a can of deodorant, you're fine. That's that's the question. I don't know how much deodorant was available. It's just masking the nastiness. I, I don't want to. I don't want to stereotype the people of Vakin. But when I looked at Vakin, I was like, I bet that smells a lot like Lynx Africa. Um, it smells a lot. Who? Lynx Africa. It's a very particular brand of the uh, Lynx 
Is it, it's Axe here, isn't it? It's Axe. So it might be Axe Africa. Um, it's a deodorant that's very common. But it, it does have those vibes of kind of slightly toxic smelling deodorant. Um, so sorry, people are fucking. <laughs> it's a bit of a tangent. Um, sorry to sort of stereotype you all. Some of them might have better, better, better hygiene standards than others. Actually, interestingly, though, the thing I really like about Vakken is if you look at it, especially this year, it's a muddy, slightly kind of chaotic-looking site. Uh, metalers, um, God love them, they're not always the most, they don't always look the most genteel types, uh, which I guess is what happens when you're, you're in long hair, leather trousers, and leather, big leather jackets with metal studs on them. So, like, they don't look the most approachable. But, like, this, when I heard this fact, I was like, I knew this would be the case. Wacken is considered one of the safest festivals in Germany. In fact, this year was particularly praised as being one of the safest Wackens of all time. And uh, it's just like, yeah, metalers. Like, metalers are great. I love them. They're, they go hard, uh, but they're usually some of the most lovely people you'll ever speak to. <laughs> one of the most interesting folks you'll ever speak to, for sure. And I thought that was a nice little touch, that it was also incredibly safe, despite being horribly muddy. Maybe the mud has, like, uh, antibacterial properties that might help you a lot. What make you nicer? I think it's just metalers. I think metalers just get all their get all the kicks out of the music, and then don't have to have horrendous personalities. A uh, good lot, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not sure if it's to do with the mud. If anything, the mud's better for the, being introduced to the metalers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, despite some of the people having to be dug out by firefighters and some general chaos in the travel, mostly the worst aspects were avoided. And one of the worst parts, you'll not know this, Dilly, having avoided clearly open-air festivals, the worst bit of any open-air festival or any camping event on, on a scale is leaving the campsite. And luckily, um, there was there was people on hand to help. RDRC said the um, they were very busy through the night uh, helping people get off-site. But by Monday, there were only 10% of the visitors left to leave so that's pretty good so but it is the worst queuing waiting ugh. i believe you like when when there's like a mass exodus um, out of a small gate from a venue it can lead to complications and i believe you it's like that but with cars oh shit yeah i can i can i can imagine but oh, imagine, imagine a, like an open air event in the rain. Yeah, they're, they're not great. They're not great. And you're just wet. You probably brought just one pair of like socks with you. Ew. I mean, some people go unprepared. Some people come prepared. But I mean, I thought, again, I'll always use the reference of the battle reenactments because it's the closest thing I could probably approximate to a, an open air festival just by scale. But the, um, yeah, that's usually the problem that w w you have is like, you're desperately hoping the weather's going to be good because you're going to spend all the time outside. Mm. You don't want to be sitting in the piss and rain or trying to find somewhere that's dry. But I've fought battles in the piss and rain, and that's actually quite fun. It actually gets quite fun. I mean, once you get past the point of, like, I care about falling in the mud, it, 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 it's, it's great. It's good. It is good. So I can understand why why some people don't have any problems. Oh look, hi Peppa Pig. <laughs> well, you know, I do watch a lot of it. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, to finish off, the final press conference was given by co-founder of Vark and Thomas Jensen, and he said that 
he was very thankful to the farmers who'd helped uh, deal with the mud. And uh, he said, it's an incredible solidarity with music. And he also talked about how there'll be speedy reimbursements for a roughly 23,500 unredeemed festival tickets. That's 23,500 uh, people who were unable to pick up their tickets and go to Vakken because of the uh, weather and general chaos. Um, and it could cost around 7 million euros. Apparently, the people who were unable to attend these 23,000 will be given premium opportunities to uh, or, or priority opportunities to get tickets for next year's Vakken. So there's going to be an attempt to recoup their losses. So um, good luck to them, I guess. Maybe Vakken won't be so wet next year, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Maybe take your scuba gear. As we all know, retro is in. And why else do Gen Z kids dress like grungy Gen Xs? It's that retro vibe. It does seem that Elon Musk is also a fan of all things retro, although maybe not the clothes. But certainly the debates about social media that we thought we'd solved, but actually have come back under the tenure of Musk at Twitter. Uh, this was certainly the case for the Federal Foreign Office and Annalena Baerbock last week, who had to deal with a, a Twitter parody account that looked awfully like the... Uh, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock's own Twitter account. The ministry lodged a complaint against the profile, and after a brief suspension, the account was reactivated, but with a new name. Isn't that great? The account with the handle at Baerbock Press on, I guess we're calling it X. I'm still not going to call it X. It's still fucking Twitter. It's fucking still fucking X. Twitter. Thank what, you. What a load of shit. Um, it was it was temporarily blocked uh, or temporarily um, shut down and it also lost its blue verification badge, uh, which used to be a sign of quality and now seems to be a sign of you're dealing with an asshole. So yeah, the, the name of the account has been changed, but the, the image has stayed the same, which does look um, very similar to the one used by the official foreign minister of Germany. Yeah, it's weird discussion because ultimately this used to be the kind of problem we'd have in the 2010s, right? This is like a 20, early 2010s problem. And I come to understand that Musk is a true genius because he's managed to create time travel, right? <laughs> he's managed to take us back in time without us even realizing. And now we're just going to redo the debates of like yesteryear. How, I mean, how much of a thin skin do you have to have when you're so afraid of a parody account? Do you think that's the case? What do you think is the case? Like, who gives a fuck about parody accounts, right? But the, I think the problem you have is there's been enough time where people were verified on Twitter and people were like could make statements as themselves, certainly official personages, and it would function as a kind of way of speaking to people by subverting the press. So you could speak directly as a politician to the masses and you were... Um, people could see it was you because you were verified and there was some trust in that process. Now that trust is gone, it becomes quite dangerous because you still have the the echo of authority behind it. Oh, like this could be here or this could be misunderstood. And I think ultimately when you see the stuff that the parody account was was tweeting, uh, especially to do with kind of Niger and, and the, the, the coup that's occurred there, but I, I could understand why a politician would be upset about 
a parody account, not saying it's a parody account first and foremost, and then sort of presenting itself as an official account. Okay, so the account doesn't or didn't say very clearly that it was a parody account. But when I was reading the tweet that you were talking about, so after the coup or during the coup, the account is supposed to have posted, Salut, salut, je suis Annalena, vive la démocratie. Hello, hello, I'm Annalena, long live democracy. I mean, like, seriously, I mean, aren't they like underestimating people's comprehension abilities? I don't think you can underestimate people's ability to understand how media functions. I yeah. think I think this is the problem with today is a lot of a lack of media literacy ah, in a lot of places. Yeah. And I think I think this is part of it. I think people are people are, are less inclined to look into the detail as well and find out. And I do I think I agree with you. I think it is a bit thin skinned. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's some stuff it's all the counts also like taking the piss out of her her use of English, which is like it's a bit of a trope that it sort yeah, of indicates yeah, a type yeah. of user. I'm, but, I'm not happy about that either. But I think the reason I'd bring this up is it's it's another nail in the coffin, right? Mm. Once like official people can't can't can be made fun of, yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, you can make fun of whoever you want. Fuck it. It's that's the the social media that that I sort of enjoyed being part of. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the, the the credibility of the platform is degraded by by this kind of. Uh, situation especially a problem that was just solved before and now is a, n a new problem that didn't need to exist and i think that's the problem i have with this ultimately is that it underlines the degradation of of what was a pretty neat social media platform mm. for no particular reason other than fucking shits and giggles and it does it's another kind of mark against what musk has done and i think it's interesting as well i'm not sure if you've noticed this you've seen how many um, articles have come out or think pieces have come out recently mm. that are basically entitled Musk isn't a genius. Like there's loads of them. I have not <laughs> like, seen this. Like, like, He's not clever. <laughs> ah, so articles that are like memes that just point out how clever he isn't. Well, essentially just saying, oh, we all thought he was a genius or I knew he wasn't a genius. There's just a lot of them that were like kind of uh, going after him for, he kind of appears to be a bit childish and a bit, a bit petty and a bit idiotic really yeah um and, and maybe he, he sort of always always was but it just it just seemed a bit of a shame so you're you're sort of saying here that really you should just sort of laugh about it you shouldn't take it so seriously i think i'm going with my sri lankan experience where it isn't comic relief it's also um people engaging uh, with politicians what they do what they say and you you have to have that it's it's not just for the sake of humor. And the moment you start policing this, it, it, it I I don't see where this is I don't see this going anywhere good. I don't know. I mean there's a lack of policing all around, but I think like you, you should have to say that you're a parody account if you're a parody account. I don't think it's much. But I think it's yeah. the fact that we're going back to a point where people can pretend to be anything they want to be online ah yeah that that of course is a given i mean if you're a parody account then you should say that why would they not say that well because i think that's the point isn't it that's the the thing that they're, ah, they're, they're kind they of showing is their like ability to essentially steal someone's identity yeah, slap yeah. a 
verification badge on and say, oh, I'm, I'm this person now. Yeah. And, and it, it's that whole thing about the, the, the lie goes uh, around the world before the truth's got its pants on, you know, it's, mm. it's still, the, the lies move much faster and, and, and it doesn't, the, the lies can be small or they can be big, but they're still lies, right? And they're yeah. still kind of, everyone kind of degrades trust in, in the platform or trust in, in individuals or trust in, in politicians. And I just, yeah, I just think it's, it's generally just a bad, a bad look all round if whether you engage with it or you don't. Mm. And I think it, they do. I think, I think the foreign office do look petty <laughs> for dealing with it, but I think also Twitter has, has, has some obvious problems that need to be remedied somehow. I, I do like the idea of parody accounts though. I think, uh, even on Sri Lankan Twitter, a few years ago, there were, I would say the the accounts were doing quite a bit of service, asking questions, creating dialogue, um, getting people together, and um, I think that's essential. I'm going to be a bit more interested in the parody accounts that we have on German Twitter. Then, maybe I think I see there's advantages, but there's not like when you're in a situation, and I think this is something that the other countries maybe have better experience of. Certainly those countries that have had more demagogic governments or, or leaders mm. but this is a new experience for the english-speaking world i think mm. in britain and the us to have um authoritarian far-right mm. uh, leaders and it we've kind of gone through we're through the looking glass at this point where i mean what was this discussion when trump was was in power he's impossible to parody because anything you make fun of him for He'll probably he probably would say anyway, mm -hmm. and he would say with conviction, and he wouldn't care if it was true or not. Yeah, and so it becomes quite hard to parody these people, especially when they're willing to bullshit and talk crap and say anything, any old shit to get them publicity. And my problem we have now is you have parody accounts in Britain and the US, but mostly I see them in Britain, where they're like an individual, like an archetype of a voter for the Tories. And they say stuff that's meant to be sarcastic, but there's no indicator that they're not just a person who, with a massive tanky account, that with hundreds of thousands of followers, just saying what is essentially verbatim what Tories say. And it's like, how do you differentiate the parody from what they're actually saying? Yeah. Because the parody and what they're saying is so fucking similar. Yeah. And I'm like, at what point does the parody just become an extension of the horrible, vile shit right-wing governments say, mm. you know? Mm. And how many people know it's a parody? And it's like, I don't really think that really works as a, as a concept, because you know, like, ah, oh, I say, I make fun of, of right-wingers or I make fun of Tories, but all you do to make fun of them is say what Tories or right-wingers would say. And what differentiates yeah, you? Yeah, that's not parody, is it? No, but that's a loads of them. There's loads of those accounts ah, that are like, and no. and it's like, oh, well, I'm a parody. I'm just making a joke. I'm satire, and I'm like, nah. it's not really. It's like, it's, it's sarcasm, sarcasm. If no one can tell it's sarcasm, it's like, yeah. is that is that yeah. like how or is it just sincere then? And I think that's the question. That's that, a very fair point. I remember like on Sri Lankan Twitter, there was a parody account of the prime minister at the time. And then the, the tweet got blocked or the account was taken down because it violated uh, the non-swearing rule or something. And then another one cropped up the next day. 
And um, I think the line was, um, reincarnation is bliss, carnation is a flower. <laughs> Just found that. that. That was the start of that parody account, parodying the, pri- the then prime minister, which I thought was off to a good start. There's different takes and it works differently in different places. Yeah. I don't know how much the the politicians of Sri Lanka use Twitter. Quite a few of them do, yeah. But I imagine there's enough for it for enough of them don't to make it kind of funny. And that's kind of when it worked best. Ah. When you the people who weren't really politicians weren't really on Twitter. Yeah. So you could sort of make a Twitter <laughs> account and take the piss out of them. Or like <laughs> you make it there's ways of indicating what that you are a parody account without actually making making yeah. saying that. But I think when you just, it's just a bog standard photo of a person and no indicators that it's a parody, then it becomes the problem. And I think ultimately, like you've gone, you've gone kind of, you've gone kind of full circle, haven't you? You've gone from, oh, I'm a parody to basically just adding volume to heinous shit to. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a subtle art, I would say. It's not without its genius. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'd say it's genius, but. Yeah, it's not not it's not it's not wrong to differ. We can we can debate this on Twitter. <laughs> I might create a parody account of you. <laughs> oh, fuck. This is going to be fun. brings us to the end of the show. We are off to make parody Twitter accounts of each other and say some really heinous shit. I'm Dilly. Look at my chin. No, that's really horrible. That was truly horrible, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post to the hashtag decadesfromhome or lowercase on Twitter. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algerman. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All I have to say is thanks. I'll be some next time, Miles. Cheers! Cheers.